This week on A Lively Experiment, Rhode Island's new educational commissioner is ready to go, unfazed by the challenges ahead. And the state elections board sends out an SOS to move the primary next year. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... For 30 years, A Lively Experiment has been helping us understand the most important issues facing Rhode Islanders. Hi, I'm John Hazen White, Jr., and I'm proud to be a sponsor of this great program. Joining us with their insights, Jim Vincent, president of the Providence branch of the NAACP. Maureen Moakley, political science professor at the University of Rhode Island, and WPRI's Target 12 investigator, Tim White. Welcome, everyone. I'm Jim Hummel. Thank you for joining us this week. Governor Raimondo's choice for education commissioner was appointed unanimously this week by the Council on Elementary and Secondary Education. When Angelica Infante Green begins later next month, she will be faced with a monumental task that has overwhelmed some of her predecessors. Infante Green seems undaunted by the statistics, saying she is ready to go. We talked a little bit about this last week, new panel, new week. Jim, let's just talk about your uh, thought about her. She's got a great resume. Well, she has a great resume. Also, she is one of the people that I think needs to be addressed in terms of the system. Uh, she's an English language learner herself, as she grew up, and that is a particularly problem in the state. Uh, she has an autistic child, and I think children with disabilities have had a lot of challenges here. And she brings uh, the, the resume from New York, and she was a, a finalist in the Massachusetts job. I think when you look at it all together, you have almost a perfect candidate. Now, if the stakeholders can support her, I think she's going to make a difference. Hasn't that always been the problem, though? The legislature sometimes muddles around. Yeah, on but I think the governor, in the way she did this, she put her out front, and the thing is, it would be it's really going to be hard to have any... Uh, backtracking in terms of supporting her. I agree with everything you said. She's an excellent choice. She started teaching in the Bronx, which, say, which says a lot. South She's Bronx. got a lot of experience, uh, and she seems committed. And the most important thing is the tenor of her comments suggests that we're not going to change the tests. We're not going to go backwards. We're not going to make excuses. We're going to stick to the plan. And she uh, maintains that she can make a difference. And the thing is, the problem with, that we've had is we've never stuck to the original plan, and it's going to take time. And it sounds to me like she's in it for the long haul, and I think she's got a load of support. And I'm very optimistic about her, her chances of really helping turn the situation around. I think you put it best when you called it a monumental task uh, that she has ahead of her. Um, one, to put aside that we are, Rhode Island is always in the shadow of Massachusetts, which is the premier public school system uh, in the country. What I'm looking to see is her relationship and the dynamic with the NEA and the AFT, the teachers' unions, which are very powerful in the state, um, because we've seen with uh, Commissioner Deborah Gist, she had a bristly re relationship with them, uh, and that, I, I think, for her didn't end well. She's not, she's not here anymore. But I think Jim's also right that um, one of the, she might be the perfect candidate for the job, and here's why. Rhode Island is an urban state, and cities 
are a drag on public schools, um, you know, no matter where you are. It doesn't matter what state you're in. In Rhode Island being so urban heavy, that has dragged down all the test scores. She literally wrote the book on English language learning, as Jim pointed out. Uh, and that is a big thing to tackle uh, in Rhode Island. So, of course, with anything, time will tell. But she might be in a good position to deal with the challenges in Providence, Pawtucket, Central Falls, and Woonsocket. What do you think her biggest challenge is going to be, Jim? I think the biggest challenge is, is going to be to deal with those stakeholders. Uh, 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 Tim uh, mentioned uh, the, the unions, and there's, there's also the legislature. So she's going to have to uh, work well with them. But I think, you know, being the first person of color to have that job, I mean, we have to understand that 92% of the students in Providence are of color now. And 45%, if not more, of the students in the state are of color. So she's a person of color that I think understands uh, her way around the block. And I think that she'll be able to navigate that. I'm very optimistic, and I think she's going to do a tremendous job. All right. I support will, her. We will keep an eye on her. Um, the Secretary of State and the Elections Board are already looking ahead to the 2020 election, saying the primary date, which right now is scheduled for September 15th, is going to be problematic. It's a little bit too close to the general election. Uh, Secretary of State Nellie Gorbet has talked about, one, moving the primary to August, and two, early voting. So two separate issues. Let's talk about, and I understand the primary date. I'm not sure whether August is the time we want to get people to be voting. Maureen, what do you, what do you think about? Yeah, I think it's really hard. In other words, uh, we're losing a, the September date has always worked. I don't know what the crisis is going to be. The big problem is for candidates, they have to turn around. They the don't crisis have is, is usually the 8th, 9th, 10th yeah. because of the way the calendar right. is. It's the 15th. Yeah, but I don't think I mean, it's a big leap just because of the way the days pan out. I mean, if they if they can get it together, that's fine. The problem is, I'm not sure in August you're going to get good turnout. I I, I, I have a study here uh, by the Bipartisan Policy Center in D.C. that says that uh, you will get a better turnout in August than you would in in, in the winter months, eighteen uh, percent versus twenty two percent. So, uh, do they have any beaches in D.C. Yeah, that yeah, we need I, to worry I, about this, people this going is to? National, it, it, it's, it? it's a national study, but it, it, the the results show that. Actually, in August, it's better to have a primary than it does some other time. And only three states in the country have primaries in September. Twelve states in the country have primaries in August. Well, most of them are in May. Yeah. May and June when right. the legislature's in, but, and that's not going to But there happen. are 12 other states that have the primaries in August, and only three states in the country have primaries in, 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 in September. And this study, it's a national study, says that turnouts in August are higher than in the cooler months. Well, you know, and I think that they're looking to tackle this in two different ways. Right. Because they, they are, I think, legitimately concerned about uh, whatever that study is, turnout in the summer months. But that's why they really also want to push early, early in-person voting. Right. And I did a, sto a story a couple of months ago that I didn't know this. A lot of people had their ballots remade by a state employee because when they went in for an emergency ballot, so you go into town hall and you fill it out, they don't scan it right then and there. It's scanned on election day down at the Board of Elections. So if there's a problem with that ballot somebody, an employee of the state, fills it out again for you. With a witness, there's a whole protocol to it. Um, but they had a higher... Because it doesn't go into the machine correctly and right. they have to so get a fresh So what happens ballot. is they, it printed funky okay. at a city or town hall, but you wouldn't know it printed funky until it was actually scanned that day. Early in-person voting, they say, would take care of that because you would go into town hall two weeks before the election... And it works election, or it doesn't. And it's scanned, right? it's not counted, but it is scanned right then and there. And if the uh, machine rejects it, then you, as the voter, can fill it out again. The only problem with that is, and I, I get what you're saying, and I think this, we've got to look at this seriously because there's too much of this paper ballots. In other words, I think a way to get people out and voting. The thing is, so much happens the last two weeks. 
people are voting already. Yeah, but that's voter beware, buyer beware. They have yeah, that I case. Who was the guy who whacked the reporter out in Montana? They always yeah. say the week before. Remember yeah. the Congress guy? So you understand that, that you're going in two weeks before right, right. and things could change. And that's I would, that's I mean, your problem. My, my thing was, be, I would say, uh, have it the whole but weekend. That's be- the, Maureen, that's up to the campaigns. To, yeah. So if if the campaigns know voting is going to happen earlier, they're going to spend their ad dollars earlier. They're mm-hmm. going to have to mm-hmm. adjust how they mm-hmm. go out and campaign for their candidates uh, just two weeks No, but earlier, stuff happens. Right? I mean, stuff happens Early and voting? things I, change. Yes, I agree with Tim. Uh, Nolingo Bay has a, a bill, and this is the fifth time, and the fifth time is the charm. The NAACP Providence branch strongly supports this bill. And these are the, these are the facts. 36 other states have early voting. 66% of Rhode Islanders want early voting. Uh, it's, it, you have less problems with long lines. You, you just need to have maybe one weekend, two weeks in, in, in advance. And I think that you're going to have a higher turnout. Democracy is going to work better for a lot of people. And early voting is time has come. And I said, let's do it. The way the I mail agree. ballots are going, though, hasn't it turned into de facto early voting? There's like three or four times the amount because people are using the emergency bail, right. mail ballots in voting. effect. Right. As and, as should, and it shouldn't be. And but, that's what's well, overwhelming the elections. My, my ideal situation would be if you had voting on the weekend before through the Tuesday. Mm. In other words, that would be, and it'd make it a big deal, like that weekend and Monday and Tuesday. That would be, I think, the ideal situation. But I do agree uh, that we have to do something about early voting, and it's a question of which system. Forty-six percent of the country, in terms of the 2016 presidential election, voted early, okay? Forty-six percent. About half the people in the country voted early. This is not something new. Uh, Rhode, Island, Rhode Island can't be an outlier in this. We have to do what's best for, the, for democracy, and I think early voting. This is the fifth time that Secretary of State Nellie Gobey has put the bill in. NAACP Providence Branch strongly supports it. It should happen, her bill, and uh, let's just move on from that. All right. Uh, well, we will see what happens in the legislature this year. Um, Tim White had a very interesting story. Uh, well, it's an ongoing story about some uh, sheriffs on IOD. This has caused a huge problem in the courtrooms, the ripple effect. Uh, people are still on the payroll, so they can't hire new people. Tim, you are going to give us a little bit of a preview without sure. blowing the story. You have something coming up. There's now legislation to address this. Set the table for people who are not familiar with this story. IOD is uh, injured on duty, and that means that a sheriff who uh, claims that they get hurt on the job, they are placed into what's called IOD status, and they collect their full pay tax-free, but they're not at work uh, during that period of time. Our reporting found that sheriffs have a much higher percentage in public safety and law enforcement than any other agency of uh, employees out on IOD, and courtrooms are understaffed. So, uh, we, and we found that some have been out for 12 years out on IOD How again collecting. Well, that's the problem, and that's why the Raimondo administration last year and it failed in the General Assembly, and this year have put in an amendment in the budget to try and uh, tweak uh, how that works out. One of the things that we'll be reporting on Monday uh, next week is that the state has spent um, more than $50,000 in the last few years on private investigators to look into sheriffs who are out. So uh, clearly there's an effort by the state to try and crack down on what they think might be fraudulent um, IOD claims. You and I get the tips on those sheriffs all the time, time. don't we? Hey, look at so-and-so. You know, it's like, first of all, I have to commend you because this is a terrific story to bring to light. I feel like I'm back in the 1980s. This is kind of 1980s vision where all the the, the scandals were going on with pensions and so forth. And you didn't, in your piece, you reported some of the monies, like half a million dollars people are collecting and they're 
not going to work. And they can't fill the positions and they can't because fill the positions. Te- that's, that's the problem, the isn't it? Part of you it. can't yes. get them off to the side. And right. it was rejected by the legislature, and it's important to say that because they better not do it again. In other words, I think we have to put pressure on them. Who's the lobby who got to them, though? Well, the unions uh, testified against Council 94 is the overarching union that represents the sheriffs, and they successfully testified in House Finance. Yeah. You know, I, I commend you, t- uh, Tim, for uh, doing uh, great work. Uh, you know, it's outrageous. If, it, if, if it's as true as, as, as Tim is saying, uh, the average of Rhode Island is struggling to make ends meet. And to hear something like this, people abusing the system, it's, it's, it's sad, it's, it's outrageous, and, uh, you know, hopefully there'll be some changes because we can't continue to have But isn't part like of it, that. though, some people have applied for a disability pension. And then they run up against that. So, I mean, I'm not going to put it totally on the sheriffs. I think, that you, as you were saying, the, the system needs to be revamped. But aren't there some people who would say, I'd like to get out and get off the books? And then, what, the medical board or whoever's looking at it says, we don't feel that it no, rises there, to that level. But there are, other people who, there are other people who are told to look for the pension and they don't decide not to do it because it's, it's more, you get more money on this IOD. So you get 100% of your pay on yeah, IOD and an accidental he, disability pension is just two-thirds. So the incentive is a little different. But the way the law is written now is uh, you only have to apply for the accidental disability pension. It doesn't have to be executed, prosecuted, whatever the word you might want to use. That's what they want to change. It will now have to go through the system after, if you've been out injured for 18 months, um, then you have to not only pl- apply for the accidental disability pension, but that process has to be seen through. Before, you could just apply and then, and then hold sit off. Sit back and, and get sit paid. back and get paid that entire time. But you bring up a good point, Jim. What I'll be looking for, if it passes, what happens if the retirement board says, yeah, actually, we're not giving you that pension. You can go back to work. But then the workers' comp court says, no, uh, you're too hurt to work. So they're still, still stuck. in limbo. They're still but in limbo. But that's you, happened, too. That I mean, has that's happened. happened. Yes, that's, we've seen We've that. got to streamline. What about outsourcing? We're going to outsource it to Beacon Mutual. Is that going to help? I think what they're going to look at there is they're going to bring more investigatory materials and effort into, into these. I think the state was, quite frankly, they were just undermanned in this area, so they're hoping by privatizing it, they can bring more resources to it. Okay. The Elections Board was also in the news this past week. I did a story for the Hummel Report and the Providence Journal about what was a $400 uh, public records fee that uh, Ken Block uh, of moderate party and former Republican candidate for governor asked for a waiver. They denied it. He took it to court, and they've spent $12,000 fighting in a legal challenge. Um, here is a little bit of sound from my report this past weekend with Ken Block and Stephen Erickson, who is the vice chairman of the Elections Board. The Board of Elections is aggressively throwing everything they have at the wall to see what will stick. And one of the things that they claimed was, well, you know, we were interacting with Ken Block but you filed this lawsuit to waive the fees as Watchdog Rhode Island, but the check that was written to pay for the open records request was a watchdog check. When somebody sues you, it's like a declaration of war. The other side doesn't get to say, no thanks. Uh, If you're sued, you have to respond. The question isn't, why are we defending this suit? The question is, why did he bring it in the first place? over such a trivial amount of money. Why is he wasting taxpayer dollars? 
Of course, there are a lot of twists and turns of this story, Tim. We deal in public records all the time. And for the most part, as what Ken Block is saying, a lot of times uh, if the ACLU or we or Common Cause would go, they probably would waive the fee because it's in the public interest. Although I will say I've paid for records before. I was doing a big story down in Appenog last year. We were checking all the accident reports. They, paid, they charged me $100. I was happy to pay for it because it took people's times. When you look at this, you can see both sides. But at the end of the day, it's like $12,000. Why are we spending $12,000 over? $400. I, I would actually say uh, what I've seen over the, more than a decade in Rhode Island is this is a growing trend where uh, government agencies are trying to use fees to scare people away from getting access to information. I am not saying that is the case here in the Board of Elections. You know that fight better, better than I do. But look, when I go to my news director at Channel 12 and say, hey, this agency wants me to uh, pay $800 for that, they roll their eyes, but they cut the check. What I'm worried about is the, what we're not hearing about, that the person that lives in Westerly or West Warwick who goes to the town hall or goes to, to the state asks for, for this information. By the way, this information that taxpayers have already paid for, this is work done on behalf of the people and should be made public anyway, and they are scared away by the bill that they, they are handed over. I always make the argument to agencies it is cheaper for you because you don't have to pay lawyers. It is easier for you to be transparent. Oh, and by the way, it's also good government practice. It's also the right thing to do. Right. And the other thing is, look, there's been bad blood between Ken Block right. and Erickson. And, I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm not a particular supporter of Erickson. He talked about the fact that he failed retirement, so he went back to work. I'm not so sure he's not failing in this. I don't think the Board of Elections is managed the way it should be. And um, I realize that uh, Ken Block has asked for a lot of things, but they have been extremely hostile to him. And I think if you went in and with the same request, there wouldn't have been the same kind of pushback. So I think you've, they've got to resolve this issue. And I agree with you, you've got to err on the side of giving people the information that they want. And it wasn't that serious a request. Some of the other ones that he's asked for have taken, taken a lot more time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, but this is, a, this is an interpersonal kind of thing, and it's unfortunate that now it's become a lawsuit. But it does underscore your point about being readily able to give people the information they want. Yeah, it looks like it might be strictly between the two of them in terms of a personal thing. Um, you know, the way I come down on it is, you know, I'd like to government to be as transparent as possible, but I also understand that, you know, the election department has costs as well, so, you know, maybe there should be a fee. Should it be $400? Should it be less? I don't know. Uh, if it was somebody else other than a Ken Block, would they have done it, done the waiver? I'm not sure. So I'm not quite sure exactly uh, what's really going on with this, but um, it is unfortunate that $12,000 was You know, I wonder at some point, too, when the meter is ticking, and I understand they're talking about some precedents being set. I'm not quite sure whether I buy that argument, but as the hundreds of dollars become the thousands of dollars, become the $5,000, at some point, does the elections board say, you know what, this is not worth the fight, let's just waive the fee. Well, absolutely. And they're in too far, though. Well, Jim, here's the problem that I'm seeing firsthand is the government agencies, and, and I do believe that this is being taught from, particularly in the previous administration in the Attorney General's office, on down. They the hold, past two Attorney Generals. Yes. yes. And, and Good point. And they, they teach, the, they hold these open record summits, and I like to call it the university and how to say no and how to turn it down. We are litigating every little request that goes into these government agencies. When I started, I know I sound old, it was, hey, can I get this arrest report? 
a sergeant would look at it, take the magic marker to the social security number, and then hand it over. Why? Because it is a public record. Now those go to the legal department. What are we doing? Why are we uh, uh, racking up these legal bills for simple requests? And the journal had that great story about the guy who was, was trying excellent. to get an accident report, mm-hmm. and they're worried about the, the guy who, re- it was a hit and run, they found the guy, you know, long story short, this guy can't get his insurance company to pay off because the city won't produce the report. So I agree with you. I'm all uh, on that. We'll keep track of it. All right. We'll get to outrages momentarily. Just quickly, sports betting, it's now gone through. Whether there's going to be a legal challenge to it, we don't know. But right now, they can get this up and running. Maureen, I'm thinking conceptually, you know, the, the state's relying on the, on the revenue. Should we, the question a lot of people have asked is, should we be making betting this easy from your app on your Barca lounger in your house? Well, I think, the, I think the cat is out of the bag. I think we're doing this already. The one good thing about it is I don't think you can, uh, you can um, bet on college. Uh, college sports, I think, is particularly vulnerable. And I think the law states that you can't bet on sports in the states. In other right. words, so that's that one protection. Uh, it is a danger, but uh, I don't see how you can get around it. I mean, they've already opened this up, and people bet anyway. I mean, it's not... <laughs> You know, so another yeah, what word, they're saying maybe for the well, go ahead. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think it does make it easier, and I think anything, anytime you make things easier, there's there's consequences on the other end. I'm worried about the problem gambler, and I'm worried about having enough money to help them. So to the extent that you know we're going to bring money in in terms of uh, uh, sports betting, okay, fine, you know, to to bring revenues into the state, but we have to look at. Uh, the problem gamblers and, and have an adequate response in terms of financial response to help them. That's my concern is if you have to get up and go to Twin River or wherever or replace it with your boogie, uh, that's a little bit different than the ease. I don't know how you feel about that. Well, the thought I had when I read this is what's the mob going to do now? I mean, every it seems every step there's always of the way, a mob angle, isn't it? There is. They they are legalizing stuff that organized crime has made uh, money off of for years. First of is the yeah. lottery it used to be, and right. so slowly we're we're going into that. But my point to that is, is I think yours. Uh, the reason even when uh, sports betting came on the books, you had to go to Twin River, which is fairly nascent. Uh, that was still. You know, you bookies are going to be in business is access to capital, right? right. Uh, that's where people get in a jam, where they continue to bet, uh, and there's a debt that is accrued with that bookie, you know, through shylocking or, or or whatever it might be. I am not intimately familiar with how the mobile sports betting would be, but my concern is, how do you pay for that? Do you have a pile of money that you you put into it up or, front, up yeah, front, on an account, right? An account, or are you going to your credit card? Yeah, because I, think, it's, I think it's the yeah, latter. Maybe the latter. Well, then the latter. that's a scary prospect. All right, folks, uh, let's get to outrages. Folks, shylocking is not a word you will hear <laughs> often, but you heard it here first on Live Lady Spare. There he yeah, courtesy of Tim White. All right, let's go to uh, outrageous. Mr. Vincent, what do you have this week? Special Olympics. Just when the, uh, you thought that the Trump uh, administration could not go any lower, they managed to go to the lowest possible, you know, situation. Special Olympics, $18 million. They can't find $18 million out of a $4 trillion, with a T, dollar budget. I think it's outrageous. I think that, you know, here in Rhode Island, I, I know I've heard figures of 150000 That's still $150,000. So I think it's outrageous that uh, Secretary DeVos, a billionaire, uh, would uh, even <laughs> think about Special Olympics in terms of a cut, especially at a time when she's increasing her administrative staff by 15 
percent. Well, they tried to do this before, and Congress stepped in. So we'll see. I don't know whether, I don't think go, whether the president's going to declare a national emergency on this one. We're not sure. Tim, what do you have? Um, I, I have a kudos, but if you invite me back on the show, time will tell. I might switch it over, depending on what happens. My kudos goes to... There's a lot riding on this outrage. There is, it, and back. I'm forcing myself to come back. Uh, Chief Judge Gene Lafazzi of District Court. We've had an issue... Uh, with uh, news organizations where there are some district ju- court judges that will not allow television stations to record audio in their courtrooms, and that is uh, blocking the public's access uh, to, to information. It's a complicated issue. We don't have to get it in, into it here, but I have addressed those concerns with Chief Judge LaFazia, and she has been very attentive, has picked up the phone and called judges that are doing that. Um, it's always up to the judge's discretion. She can't force them to allow... Uh, audio in their courtrooms, uh, but hopefully we will see a change. So my kudos goes to her because I feel like she's hearing our concerns. And we've saw, seen some judges. I remember Bob Krause for years in, in uh, Superior Court. He he was a convert. Um, Ted Gale, years ago, wouldn't allow. But th- I think judges, maybe a little more education on that. And I think the chief judges. And remind them, them it's the people's courtroom. Exactly. Yeah. Maureen, what do you have? Uh, mine has to do with the, um, finally, the arraignment of Bridget Marceau, the North Providence uh, superintendent, who drastically abused her credit card and for out, sort of outrageous kinds of expenses that had nothing to do with her job. And I remember being on the show one time and, and um, someone said, oh, well, she made a mistake. No, she didn't make a mistake. She stole. It's stealing. I mean, the way she handled that, uh, if this was a minority kid, it would be in the slammer, I'll tell you. There were thousands and thousands of dollars that she charged for this. And it's, it's about time that she was arraigned. And I think she should suffer penalties because, and it's a message to all the pals who say, I picked up the wrong credit card. You know that line? I mean, oh, I, 15 didn't, mean, times. I didn't mean to charge it, you know, when I was down in Florida. I just I got picked up. It's stealing. And I think it should be handled as such. And I'm glad they finally got around to arraigning her. And I think she should suffer the consequences. And superintendents are paid very well. Yeah. Well, you would think there'd be some internal controls, too, but I think they're starting to look at that as the cards come in. Uh, all right, we have just a couple of minutes left. Um, a couple of things on the national front. Let's go with the Mueller report. Uh, this was, you know, two years in the making. Now the president's taking a victory lap. I'm just curious your thoughts. Let's go to the political science professor. So do Democrats just move on? I would like to see the full report. I don't know whether we're ever going to get that, right? I think you're going to see the full report because ultimately the president is now ratcheting this up in terms of investigating the Clintons and back and so forth and so on. So this hasn't gone away. And it's interesting because um, he had two good days and then he introduced the whole idea of ditching Obamacare. And I mean, talk about a bad strategy. And Special Olympics. <laughs> and Special Olympics. So, you know, Snatching defeat from the jaws of victory yeah. once again. But nonetheless, he's determined to pursue this. And as he pursues it, the counter demands are going to be that we want to see the full report. Nancy Pelosi, I think, has taken a great uh, stance in the sense that she wants to keep the Democrats focused on issues and getting uh, getting a Democrat elected and not going down this rabbit hole. But I do think the investigations will continue because I do think that um, the president is going to continue to ratchet well, this up. Well, there might be investigation fatigue from the public. I think that's a very real thing. That said, a CBS News poll out this week, 77% of Americans want that report released. So I think there's going to be increasing pressure to make that happen. Yeah, we, we have to see the report. We can't accept the mini cliff note version by, by Bill Barr. Uh, and 
I just think that uh, the president... Uh, and that doesn't do the president any favors. If it really is nothing there, get it out, He right? said get it out, but I guess Mitch McConnell didn't hear him because even though the Congress voted 420 to zero that they want to see the full report, 80% of the country, according to Tim, wants to see the full report, somehow they want to not be transparent. And, and if you're only not transparent if there's something wrong. Yeah, so but, there's still a problem there. Yeah, the other thing is, when you, I mean, he, he has been vindicated of a, of a sort in terms of direct collusion with the Russians as far as the election was concerned. That was the main. But there's tons of other stuff in there that talk about criminal and or unethical behavior that has to do with obstruction of justice. Well, the question is how much of that is going to the Southern District of New some York of it is. Uh, for other cases. Right. You but could do, Jim, a whole still, show on this alone. But, you but know. some of it is still. Final word. I, I'm glad he's not a Russian agent, but. <laughs> so am I. High bar. That's where we are. That's where we are. For the country's sake. Uh, but I think, you know, the Democrats, you're right, are going to switch to health care. And, and that, that noise out there you hear, that's the Democratic Party doing high fives because pre-existing conditions, that's why the Congress switched to the Democrats. So for the president to bring up the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, and a lot of his base don't know that they're the same thing. I think, I think it's just uh, uh, stepping on the message. All right. That is next week's topic. Yeah. Folks, thank you for joining us, Jim and Maureen and Tim. Yes. Thank you so much. We hope you join us back here next week as the Lively Experiment continues. Have a great week, everybody. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by. For 30 years, A Lively Experiment has been helping us understand the most important issues facing Rhode Islanders. Hi, I'm John Hazen White, Jr., and I'm proud to be a sponsor of this great program. 